You're listening to Story Power, a podcast dedicated to disruptive storytelling. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Welcome. On today's show, I'm welcoming Naya Abernathy, creator of The Dignity Effect. The Dignity Effect is dedicated to helping people learn about social, emotional wellness, and unity-oriented peacemaking. I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Naya. And why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about who you are and how you have come to this place in your life. Who am I first? My name is Naya Abernathy. I am the daughter of uh, Sharon... um, Jacobs. And my grandparents on my mother's side are Gloria Jacobs and Ezekiel Jacobs. Currently, I am a guest on the stolen lands of the Muscogee Creek people and the Cherokee people, um, just east of Atlanta in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Um, And in Stone Mountain, there is a large rock that we call Stone Mountain, but it's not an actual mountain with the faces of four Confederate generals carved into the side of it um, at a site where the Muscogee Creek people um, frequented. And these lands have never been ceded. Um, I'm grateful uh, because it's a, it's a beautiful place. And I know that it was cared for for many, 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 many generations before um, they, the lands were stolen. I am married. Uh, My husband's name is Myron. I have two kiddos. I'm in the thick of uh, early family life with a four-year-old and a one-year-old, almost one and a half, Um, which also means I had a very small baby during the pandemic. So that has, I don't think it's changed who I am, but that is, that's a marker of, uh, of definitely my life and my experience. Um, I am somebody who has, um, I grew up in the church. Uh, I've gone to a variety of different churches, um, but if somebody were to ask me what my church tradition was, I would say Pentecostal. Uh, That's the tradition I identify with and feel the most comfortable in, I would say. I feel most at home in a Pentecostal space. I I don't want to say I struggle. I live with with mental health uh, challenges. They are much less than they have been in the past. but uh, they have definitely something that have marked my story and my experience. And um, as a black woman who has grown up in the church, it has been a process to be very honest about my own mental health challenges, to uh, be willing to go on a journey that was more than just pray and read the Bible, <laughs> um, but was deeper and um, really liberative. And I would say that I am not in the thick of, of, of uh, that healing journey. I'm not at the end of it. There, there are things that come up that I have to adjust to. Um, but I'm at a place where I'm, I'm managing some of the things that I've struggled with pretty well. And I'm really grateful for that while paying attention to like what comes up in my kids or what comes up in my friends and making sure that we are open about the things that I was very um, reluctant to be open about and probably suffered longer than I should have 
or had to because of that. Um, and one of the most important things to me is relationships and relationships being um, as synergistic as they can. And when they can't be synergistic because there's more than one person involved in relationships, um, for them to be as healthy and um, as life-giving as they possibly can be and helping people through that. That's something that I have learned and continue to learn what that looks like. What does that mean? How do you navigate relationships that are complicated or longstanding or have changed a lot over time? And what does it look like to invite people into that who've never really thought about the dynamics of their relationships, the health of their relationships, the, the well-being and the wellness around their relationships and their emotions. Um, and so that desire has led me to a space where now I, um, the work that I do is I'm a public educator and I teach on social emotional well-being um, with a focus on cultivating relational wellness. And that's relational internally for the individual as well as outside of them in interpersonal relationships and then relationships that reach out to uh, acquaintances, strangers, and even considering the relationship that they have with uh, those that they would consider their enemy. It's a very long bio, but I think I covered, I think I covered everything. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Can you tell us about the dignity effect? The Dignity Effect was born, if you will, in 2016. I was uh, pregnant with my daughter and um, at a job I did not enjoy. And I, I knew that once I had her, I wasn't going back. But I was like, well, what am I going to do? Um, I'd worked a nonprofit at that time in a, in a variety of nonprofits. Um, and one of my favorite things that I'd done was... Um, build some of those programs that I talked about, like build camp program, things like that. Um, and then that the one-on-one coaching that I did with people, one-on-one coaching and education, whether it was parenting education for parents that were, um, they had open cases at DFACS, so they had to go through a curriculum. Um, whether it was that or um, doing coaching with uh, people, individuals, as well as their families who were entering into uh, a recovery season from addiction. So they've gone through an intensive program, they're coming out and I was there to walk alongside them to help them take all the things that they learn and apply it to real life um, and the ups and downs of that. Um, so those were the things that I could say, like, I really love doing this. And marrying that with my concept of dignity, which had just kind of, I'd been able to put words to it for the first time. It was always there. I'd been talking at the time I had really been doing a lot of, um, uh, reading of, uh, Brene Brown's work, Dr. Brene Brown. And, uh, so I, I had words like vulnerability and authenticity and things like that were like, really. And I was like, yeah. yes, this is good. This is this is a thing that I really, um, connect with and some, and I can't remember which, uh, which work of hers it was, but something I read in, in something of hers brought this thing of dignity to like in my mind. And I was like, that's it. 
I don't know if like mm-hmm. this is how she's intending <laughs> this to come across. This is how it's come across to me. This dignity piece. Um, and so once I realized that there was like a word for it and it wasn't this like amorphous random thing, um, mm-hmm. it started to feel like something that I could grab a hold to and like work like work into something that I could help other people with, uh, which was the goal. It's like, how do I take this, this dignity thing that I have experienced in my own journey and then help other people experience it? Because here's the thing in all of the work that I I've done with families, um, again, families in different spaces, whether it was faith-based work, community-based work, not nonprofit work, um, families, again, with open cases of defects, families dealing with addiction, this, this absence of a recognition of dignity was everywhere. It didn't matter how affluent the family was. It didn't matter how, what kind of need the family had. It didn't matter. There was something missing that I wanted people to connect with. That was really Mm -hmm. the whole goal. So I was trying to figure out like, this is what I really love doing here's, here's this thing that I can now kind of like, it's, it's become a little more tangible. How do I marry the two things? And one of my favorite, (laughs) I'm not really, I'm one of the three people on the planet. I'm sure I'm not really super into Enneagram. I know my Enneagram number, but I don't really know all the ins and outs, but I really loved, um, uh, strength finders. And mm-hmm. when I took the strength finders test, it didn't tell me anything new. It just confirmed the things that I already knew. And one of those things was teaching. And so I felt very connected to being, to this aspect of being a teacher being a communicator. And when you go through that and it says, you should, these are the things you should do. It was all the stuff that I've been thinking about. You should be an educator. You should be a counselor. You should blah, blah, blah. Um, right. So I was very, uh, I had a, I have a friend um, who is a social worker. And at the time she was like, you need to just go into social work. I said, ma'am, I'm going to have to go back to school and I'm still paying back my loans for my bachelor's. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I just can't, right? my soul, I cannot reconcile that. Um, right. And so, but that, but I've had that, uh, I guess the spirit of a social worker, of a counselor, of somebody who is really trying to walk with people. Um, yeah. And in the reality of their actual lived experience and, um, yeah, and help them be grounded in who they are and make decisions that are really beneficial for them and for those around them that they love. So I think that's always been there. I do. That's awesome. I was really excited to, uh, connect with you and talk to you today in particular, because I feel like we have very shared passions, um, mine being as well like actually something I've been thinking about for the last few days it's really been stuck in me is the line from the like what we know as the Christmas song that the soul would know its worth Mm -hmm. and that has just been going over and over and over in my mind for days and days now just thinking about this idea of the joy like that I get when I encounter these moments with people and I see them experience their worthiness. And that's such a yeah. powerful thing. And when I sit here thinking about like, well, why? 
Like, why do I feel motivated in that way? You know, what motivates me? I don't even know if I can put words to it, but here I'm going to ask you, like, why (laughs) do you know why or what it is in you that really um, excites you about doing this work that you do? Mm. Oh, that's a really big question that I don't know if I've ever... um... It's totally unfair, too, right? Because I'm sitting here saying, (laughs) I can't exactly tell you why. But it's just like I, when I meet my people who have this shared passion and excitement, I know it, like I feel it. Mm -hmm. It almost feels Mm -hmm. like something outside of me, you know? And Mm -hmm. I would think Mm -hmm. everybody would really be passionate about this, but they're not, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. just not. So there's something about some people where this is something that really resonates with us and that we want to spend our time and life energy contending for. The first thing I think about is, so in the strength finders, um, there's five, five of your top strengths. And I don't remember, I never remember all five of them. I have them written down somewhere, but one of my top five is uh, a strength called woo, (laughs) which when I read that, I was like, what is that? (laughs) But it, right? it is this, yeah, it's it's very like, hmm? Because um, the rest of them are like communicator, learner, you know, it's, and it's like, and woo comes like at the, I think it's like my third or fourth, somewhere towards bottom. So I actually was able to pull this up. So there's another one that I'm going to read from the Strength Finder. They're really brief. It's not going to take a long time. But um, so one of the things that... Uh, that I loved about reading what woo was, um, was that it said this person never meets a stranger. And I was like, I don't, I'm like everybody The the person I don't know. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? How you doing? You know, very. And one of the other strengths, uh, that I have is connectedness. It's actually my second top strength. I was able to pull this up very quickly. I'm going to just read to you what it means, what, what they explain it as. I think you'll, uh, I think you'll connect with it. So it says people who are especially talented in the connectedness theme have faith in the links between all things. They believe there are few coincidences and that almost every event has a reason. And so I think when you marry connectedness with woo, there's some like cosmic energy that happens. I would, I would bet a decent amount of money that you also have connectedness and woo somewhere in your mix. Um, because it is I think I'm pretty low on that's... woo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, or maybe there'd be some other pe- like a people fo- focused strength because that connectedness right. um, I think is really key. And there's, there's something there's always been this sense of something so much bigger. And yes, I think you could think of like creator, God, yes. But not just as like, I understand that there is a power being that exists, but that there's there's something about that being existing and us existing that is really, really important and powerful and beautiful 
And when we look out into the world and we don't see that being reflected in people's experiences and their lives and in our own communities and our own lives, we're like, something is wrong. And so there seems to be this pull for, for us to say, I like, it's almost like we're holding, um, that cosmic reality of like beauty and creation and intentionality and love and like holding our neighbor and just like, I want to be the force that helps to bring these things together in a, in a way that's synergistic and there's flourishing and there's thriving. And I know that's a very long explanation to your question, but that's, that's, that's what I got. (laughs) I think, I think it's something like that. I love the long explanation to my questions, by the way. This is your show today, just so you know. So you can take it in any direction. You can answer the question the way I ask it or completely differently. So tell me, like, is there more you want to tell me about the Dignity Effect? Like how it started, what you do, what was your favorite, Mm -hmm. um, like what has been some of the beautiful moments in this work that has inspired you? Anything. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, So like I said, I did start, um, I started the Dignity Effect back in 2016. When I say start, it was a soft start. I wasn't like, I didn't go get an LLC and like, I didn't do that. But that's, I still have the notebook where I was writing down all of the ideas. This is, what am I going to call it? Before it was the dignity effect. It was like, is it going to, I knew it was dignity, but I was like the dignity what? And so I have those notes and um, I connected with the Adinkra symbols uh, that come from Ghana. And so there's, I like printed out and cut out these Adinkra symbols. I was like, am I going to use this Adinkra symbol for the dignity effect for this one? And like, you could see my process of really trying to figure out like, what is this? What does it feel like? What am I doing? There's pages and pages and pages of ideas. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Because at the time I was, again, I was in, because I always was like, I want to do work. Like, this is not something cute that I'm just going to be like, I don't know. I'll just, it, it's fun. I'll think about it. I was like, no, I, I want to put my hand to the plow of this and do work. Um, and my context was always nonprofit. And so the way nonprofits usually are built, they're usually like people are community focused. And so that felt very easy to think about. So I was, I was kind of pulling from behind me from my past experience because the current place I was in, I was like uninterested in that. And so in the beginning, you could go back through that notebook and really see me trying to massage out what this thing, what what this thing is, where does it belong? Like, um, and I I think there's one page where I literally just have a list of like, I'm just going to do all the things. (laughs) And I look back at that now and I'm like, no, you're not going to do all those things. That's like four different businesses that you just wrote down on this one page. Like, um, right. And so, uh, and then I had a kid cause I was pregnant. And so I'm thinking about this dignity thing. I started uh, my Instagram page in 2016. Um, and, and at first it was just like quotes and thoughts and like, here's, you know, things we should be good to each other, like very general. Um, 
And then I'm, I'm not thrown into motherhood. Like I didn't know I was having a kid, but I had a kid. I wasn't working. Um, I was dealing with postpartum depression. Um, fun fact, I had been, re- I hadn't really had a depressive episode for a long time. It'd been years. And so I, as I was educating myself as my first kids, is when you read all the books and you talk to all the people, you listen to all the, po- whatever, you do all the things. I was like, I'm good. I'm good with the depression thing. Like I've done this, I've done this dance before. Like I, kn- I know what happens. It's fine. And even, um, my OB at the time was like, okay, but you're going to like, tell me, you'll have some check it. Tell me. I'm like, yeah, I'll tell you. It might. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah. And then proceeded to deal with postpartum depression for the first 18 months of my daughter's life. And part of that was because I could not admit that I, like that it had gotten me again. I was like, no, I've got, I've got this. I figured out how it works with me. And, um, but postpartum depression is a little different. Um, it just is. And I mean, that's another podcast to talk about that, but, um, that, so that was going on me dealing with that and, you know, what does it look like to find help? What does it look like to lay down all the expectations of yourself around motherhood and, you know, all of those things, realizing that I had decided I'm going to be home with uh, my daughter for a year and realizing after seven months that I didn't realize it then, but looking back, I went back to work part-time at seven months, one, because we needed we needed the money, but also because I was losing my actual mind because I'm not like, I am not built to just yeah. stay at home all day and be with somebody's child, even if it's mine. <laughs> like I'm just not. And so I had to admit that and not feel guilty about that reality. <laughs> but these are real things that new moms go through. Yeah. There's these expectations that are ridiculous. Um, So there's a lot I was navigating. And so I wasn't, it's not like I started the Dignity Effect in 2016 and I was super focused on like building this business and this brand and all this other stuff. I was just trying to get some, some good words out into some spaces. Like that's all I was trying to do. Um, But I knew... And, but, but I knew that it was going to, it had to be more than that. I just didn't know what or when. So that part-time job that I took while, um, uh, after my, uh, child, my first child was born, turned into a full-time job and that, and so fast forward a few years, um, and I am in a full-time job burnt. I had already gone through my first cycle of burnout. Burnout is not cute. Let me just say that I've been through burnout before. I think in my experience, burnout is extremely common in a nonprofit setting for all the reasons. And again, I deal with perfectionism too, Jen. And so it's very easy to be like, I can do it, I can do it. And I think there's also, I think women in general carry a certain sense of like, I need to be able to do this. But as a black woman, I also was like, I have to be strong. I have to be resilient. I can handle it. I can, ugh, all the things. And again, I'm, I'm a mother with like a child who's under 
you know, who's under three at this point, you know, there's all these other things going on. And I had gone through my first burnout cycle. I was approaching my second and I was leaving work on a Sunday, uh, driving, heading home. My husband was home with my daughter and I called him and I said, "I, I have to get someplace and pray. I was like, um, I know Catholic churches are open, like generally for prayer. I'm making assumptions because I'm not Catholic. Remember Pentecostal? We might have Sunday night service, but they wasn't open at this time. It was, it, it was probably closed. Um, <laughs> right. But I just called him and I said, listen, I've got to, if I'm going to, I might sit on the, on a, at a bench in a park, I, but I just got to get someplace by myself. And we were in a two bedroom apartment with a, two-year-old, there was no way I was going to be by myself. So I'm literally driving home. I see this church that we pass often. Their lights were on. I said, I'm just going to go in there and ask them if I could pray. I don't know these people. Um, and I did that. And they were very kind. They said, oh yeah, you can, sure. Here's the, they let me go into like the, the nursing mother's area, which it was a good, I'm, I'm thankful they had it, but it clearly used to be a closet is a very nice space, but I was like, thank you. I just, I went in, closed the door with that same notebook that I had all my dreams about dignity. And I had that notebook with me and I just sat down with God and I was writing again. And I realized I'm like, you've been writing the same stuff that you want to do for years. And I just sat and I was like, what is going on? And me and Jesus just had a talk for about an hour. And I cried a lot. And among, among other things that came up, I really felt God say, you need to go start this now. You already know what to do. Go do it. And I was like, now? God was like, mm-hmm. now. I'm like, you mean now, now? Or like now-ish? No, no, I need you to go do it right now. I was like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> And so, um, I talked to my husband and I'm like, I can't, you know, he already knows I'm really struggling with the work thing. We don't really have a solution. I did. I said, I'm just gonna, I think I'm going to start this business and I think I'm going to go part-time at work. And so, so I did, I met a few weeks later with, I don't even think it was a few weeks. I think it was less than a few weeks. It might've been a week or maybe two. I met a couple weeks later with, um, my boss's boss at the time who I had a relationship with. And I was sure, I was sure that this person knew that I was done. Cause I felt done on the inside. And I'm like, I don't think I'm hiding it well, but maybe I was, um, they were very surprised when I was like, I'm going to go part-time and then I'm just going to leave. <laughs> they were like, what? And I think we both ended up crying. It was very emotional. Um, I got an LLC for the business and then I found out I was pregnant with our second. And I said, well, this timing is a little strange, Jesus. I'm not really sure. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> Jesus is probably like, um, that baby, that was you and Myron. I, I don't, I didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. Uh, my pregnancies are usually healthy, but just also miserable. So, um, but that process of just sitting with God and just being like, ah, what am I going to do? I'm like literally dying. And God's like, "Mm -hmm. 
remember these things you keep thinking about. You can go ahead. Like, I'll take care of you. Um, and so that year, so I'm pregnant. I'm part-time. I'm trying to figure out building this business. I meet people. This is pre-pandemic, y'all. This is 2019. I meet people on the internet, like Tony Collier, who I'm like, you're, you're so great. I would love to like, I think I, I think I asked her first, like if she would just like talk to me or maybe meet me for coffee. And she was like, sure. And I was like, what? Like I was just, I'm thinking about like, oh, she more just people that like Marcy of black, black coffee with white friends who have just, I'm I like this Marcy. little tiny Instagram page who, and I'm trying to say things and, and there's these people, these women, and I'm talking about 2019. There were many more. I can't even list all of the people who I've had amazing conversations with. The first podcast I recorded was with um, Ashley and Jenna of F Perfect. And I was like, you want me to be on a podcast? I was so nervous. I was sweating the whole time I was recording it, you know, but the people who... I was amazed that they just said, I like, I love what you're doing. And I'm like, I have 27 and a half followers. Like, what are you talking about? You know, um, and people who would give their time and encourage me, people who I call friends now, you know, um, it was, those were the things that helped me realize that I'm not really into social media not particularly good at getting followers, but the message was important. What I was saying was important. What I was trying to draw people into was important. And I realized it wasn't just important to me. It was important to other people. And it was important to other people who were trying to also draw people in with their messages. And so there was something about that that gave me some courage um, to just keep going. Because some, listen... There's been a lot of times, a lot, where I have said to myself or my one of my friends or to my husband, I'm going to quit and just go work at Costco so we can at least get some discounts on our groceries. Because <laughs> why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, like, uh, um, and then especially my husband will look at me and be like, that's cute because in six weeks you're going to be like, this is terrible. I just want to go help people. And he's like, so can we skip that? And you just don't quit what you're doing? I'm like, all right. Um, <laughs> right. So <sighs> yeah. And I think one of the, one of the things that has happened since I actually got the LLC became an actual business is that there has been this draw and this clarity and this focus into what am I doing? What is this? For the longest time, I didn't have an, I couldn't give the elevator pitch. What do you do? And then I would give like a three minute explanation. I couldn't just tell people I'm a public educator and I educate on social emotional well-being. Oh, and then if they ask me more, I can tell them more. I could not, I've only recently been able to do that. And so much of it has been the process. It's been my learning. It's been these interactions with these other people who believe in what I'm doing and are willing to hold space with me and talk to me. And, you know, it's been the whole process. And so, yeah, I hope that answers your question. I think. Oh, yeah. No, this is great. And to just add one more thing. Uh, so 
so in 2019, right, I, I quit my full-time job. <laughs> I start a business and I get pregnant. I have my baby in January of 2020. My goal wow. is, okay, I've completely quit. So that job that I went part-time to is now does not exist. I do not work there any longer. I've had a baby. I'm going to go through that fourth trimester. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to start getting out there because I'm getting a little more clarity about what I want to do. Who are the people that I need to talk with? Where can I get in to start doing some trainings and, you know, whatever. So I'm literally March of 2020 is when I'm leaning into this. Okay, we're get, I'm getting ready to really be more focused on the business and the pandemic happens. And the whole of the United States goes into a lockdown, even though everybody was not doing it. But especially me with small children, I just, I was like, uh, no, nobody don't even look in our direction in case you have breath coming through your, your gaze. Just don't not, no, no, no. Um, um, and so 2020, like for everybody, it was a big pivoting. And Mm -hmm. that was, again, it was so much of like, what do I do? What am I doing? What is this thing? Um, And one of the things that I don't talk about as much, um, that is a huge part of the dignity effect is the peacemaking, the unity oriented peacemaking. And that falls under the social emotional piece. But I didn't, I didn't grab onto that until, until George Floyd was murdered. Okay. And I, it, I was so, I was so overwhelmed. Like I think many black people, I think almost every black person I talked to, there was this collective, oh, yeah. deep ancestral pain and I was like what am I do like what am I doing and does it matter and what is everybody else doing like what is happening and at that point I didn't really consider myself a peacemaker because I looked at people like you know I looked at people like Oshita Moore and thought no she's a real peacemaker (laughs) you know um right I just, I just play one on TV or whatever. Um, (laughs) But I really had to reckon with the reality that a lot of what I was talking about was justice oriented. It was about peacemaking and it was about a peacemaking that leads us, yes, to justice, but to this deeper place of justice where we can actually reach real unity, not sameness but oneness Mm. not assimilation um but a a caring for one another and a holding of one another's differences um that honors who we are uniquely while never forgetting who we are collectively Mm. um and so that is something that has always been in the heartbeat of the dignity effect but I have recently been willing to say, okay, yes, I'm also doing these this thing over here. And a lot of that, I think I am f- 
fine tuning that in spaces like like subversive seminary in the inverse community. Um, yeah. As I'm learning and reading from people like, you know, geez, just the, the list of people, um, that I'm learning and reading from Marcy from black coffee with white friends, uh, has been hugely influential in me reckoning with the reality that I am a peacemaker and what that yes does what what that can look like um mm-hmm. so all of that to say I am much more clear and the dignity effect is still evolving dignity is bigger than me I am not I don't have a trademark on dignity I'm not the guru of dignity it is bigger than me I don't know how many people are talking about it teaching about it in my specific context and lane but that's okay right um they're coming and people have their own context where they are talking about dignity and it's really really important for it to be lifted up um and one thing across the board that i one thing that informs literally everything i do not just with dignity with the dignity effect, but with my own life is the reality that the, that dignity is primary. It is the truest and the most important thing about me, about you, about the stranger that I don't, I don't really know, but I know that they're in need. It's the truest thing about my enemy. And so what does that mean then? Then what does it mean? If it's the truest thing about me, if it's the truest thing about you, if it's the truest thing about every person in my family, um, I don't think it necessarily means we hold hands and sing Kumbaya. I think it means that however we approach one another in, in whatever context our relationship is in, even if we have to approach one another with hard things, um, with, um, boundary setting, with uh, truth telling that we do it remembering that we're talking to somebody who is also a bearer of the image of God. Amen. And, and for me, that has meant, I have to tell you the truth. I have to tell you the hard thing Mm -hmm. because you're worth that. You are Mm -hmm. worth knowing the truth and the hard things you're worth knowing that you hurt me or that I'm watching you hurt someone else because it you don't have to do that. And I believe that you can connect to this reality of dignity and and decide I'm not going to continue to hurt people. I am going to lean into learning or doing something different. And so, and I believe that because there's this shared humanity that each of us have. And many of us, I think, have never been that's never been nurtured it's always there Mm-mm. but it's never been right. acknowledged it's never been nurtured it's never been um it's never been showcased talked about and i think we would be a very different people a very different society a different world if if dignity really was the primary thing about each one of us I'm trying to decide what direction to go in 
Uh, clearly, I could talk to you for multiple episodes about many different things. Because on one hand, like you're talking about uh, Marcy Walker, for example, and her space, Black Coffee with White Friends, and the influence that that has had and the impact that has had. And it's so funny because I feel the same way about Marcy and Oshida. So I've gotten to know Marcy really well, whereas Oshida, I kind of know and have worked with her on her book and stuff. But like I look at Oshida and I'm like, she is a brand of peacemaking that just inspires me. I don't know that it's my brand, right? Like, it, it, like I had to come to this place, too, of contending with like, I am a peacemaker, but I am also a disruptor. And my peacemaking comes through mm -hmm. disruption while holding that essential tenant, like you're saying, that every single human being is a reflection of the divine, right? And so, like, to me, how am I showing up? How am I holding space for people? And how am I interacting? Because it's easy sometimes to get into these spaces and into these um, discussions about justice. It's easy for me sometimes to get really dehumanizing when I'm talking to my cousins who don't believe that, that systemic racism exists or that these, these are issues that exist and that it's all some political charade, right? And so even in that, like there are times I have to step back and just be like, okay, you are an image bearer and I want to burn things down right now. So I'm going to take a deep breath. <laughs> but anyway, so just kind of thinking about those things, like the, the way that, the way that Marcy has inspired me, her space is so beautiful. And I remember the first time I interviewed mm -hmm. her for speaking of racism, like years ago, I was so excited when she came on. And, and like it was this Brené Brown moment for me as well because Brené Brown has also had a really big impact on me and my understanding of shame, vulnerability. You know, I, it, it, she mm -hmm. changed my life, period. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be sitting here oh, having these 100%. conversations, I don't think, if it weren't for her. Right. Um, and and the, the reading mm -hmm. and the work, you know, that she's done. So... Um, one of my questions I'd like to ask you is within your, so I have two questions, so we can answer this how you would like to, but one of the questions that I would like to know is like, what was it in your life and in your journey? Because you talked briefly about that when you emailed me about like, there was this moment for you where you came face to face with your dignity and that that changed the mm -hmm. trajectory of your life and your work. So what was that? Mm -hmm. That would be one question. Mm -hmm. Another question is just a practical question about like, what do you do? Like, what does the dignity effect do? So as people are listening to this and they're like, okay, but what is the dignity effect? Like, where do I go and become a part of it? Is it a community of people? Is it like, what, what is it? So how would you like to kind of address mm -hmm. those two thoughts that I have? I can actually answer both of them because one leads into the other. Um, so cool. I have a, a good friend of mine is, um, he's a director and he's helping me kind of craft like a video, like a short video. And he's a phenomenal storyteller and he's asking me about the story of the dignity effect. He's like, actually, what is the dignity effect? I like, what do you, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I got you. Um, 
So the dignity effect is what happens when we see ourselves reflected in who we would consider to be the other. And when I experienced this while I was working in the addiction recovery world, it's the first time this had ever happened to me. And it, I mean, it just, the first time I experienced the dignity effect, the actual effect that dignity has on us, it, it changed my life. I was working at a faith-based um, long-term addiction recovery program. And I'd never experienced addiction myself. Like I've never, I don't think I even started drinking alcohol till I was like in my thirties. So I just was not, it just wasn't a thing. I, I don't have a lot of addiction in my immediate family. So I wasn't very close to it. And so I'm in this space, very unaware of how I was operating in a space of saviorism. And it was very unintentional for me to be in that space. But I, I, I was, I was like, let me help you. Your life is terrible. My life is not. Let me help you. It was that kind of, you know, thinking, unconscious thinking. And I'm, I'm, I'm in a group and I'm listening to a, a gentleman share and totally different, older white guy. I mean, just so different from me. And he's sharing his story. And I start to hear myself in his story. And I'm, and I don't remember the specifics of his story, but I remember feeling what, what he was describing. I remember feeling what he was feeling. And at that moment, I realized that it didn't matter that I dealt with legalism and perfectionism. And I've, I've now in, in a, if I'm in an addiction recovery space, I might say like, I'm a recovering performance addict. Cause it was always like, gotta be excellent. Gotta do your best. Yeah. So that might be how I was dealing with my pain. He was okay. dealing with his pain with alcoholism, you know, lying, all these other things but our pain was the same. And for the first time, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that he was an alcoholic. It didn't matter that I was, you know, a perfectionist. The, the thing that mattered the most in that moment is that we shared pain, no matter how different the rest of our story was. And I could see myself in him and I could see him in, in me. And I couldn't other him. I, I, I was too connected to him after that moment. And it completely changed me because for the first time, everybody's on a level playing field. And I cultivated that, right? Like it wasn't like this instant. I'm, you know, it's, that was years ago. Years. I wasn't even married at the time. I didn't even know my husband. This was a long time ago. But that moment is the moment that I know people can experience and you can experience it over and over and over again. And I want people to experience it because I know what it does to your heart. I know what it does to your soul. And it makes you just not feel so alone in your own story. 
And that's part of this. Our pain that we carry, those parts of our stories that are hard, that are tender, that we are like, don't tell anybody about this. I'm going to sweep it under the rug. I'm going to put it in the corner. I'm going to lock it up in this chest that's in the closet that's closed and the closet is locked. Like we do that to ourselves and you start to not feel so alone when you can hear in someone else's story when you could hear in somebody else's living experience, so when you could see it in their eyes, when you could hear it in their voice, oh, I didn't experience that exact thing, but I know what you're talking about. I, I know that place that you're saying you got to. I understand that space. There's something really beautiful about that. Um, and there's something really beautiful about shared joy, but there's something different about that shared pain. Um, that I think we don't allow ourselves to enter into on our own, let alone invite other people into that. And so that really, the dignity effect as a business exists to help people experience the dignity effect as those moments in their, in their lives. And so the way that I do that, I do it in a few different ways. Um, I do education, I build community, and then I do um, like separate contractual work with, with companies or nonprofits. So that work probably looks more like training. Um, it looks like uh, custom curriculum writing. We're focusing on social, emotional well-being and wellness, either within the company, talking about like management level. How are you, <laughs> how do your employees see you? How do you see your employees? What does that mean for employee retention and things like that? If I'm building curriculum, how do we build a curriculum that really helps people connect um, to the part of themselves that can open up for themselves first and then in relationship? That social, emotional well-being. Build community in spaces like um, the Dignity Nation, which is over on a platform called Buy Me a Coffee, very similar to, to Patreon. Uh, but that membership community is where we are walking through practices that help build um, things like a, an emotional legacy that people can be proud of. It's a space where I get to share conversations with people, kind of like podcasts, uh, where they get to talk about dignity within their own context. And so I've had people like Carla's been on there and talked about what does it mean? What does dignity mean to her as an Afro-Peruvian undocumented immigrant in the U.S. Like, what does that mean? Um, and, so, and then I do education. So there's the free public education that I do on Instagram. Um, and then there's fee-based education. So that includes things like I have an email course around parenting and dignity. Um, I, I said before that families have been kind of the um, commonality in most of my vocational work. And so I really love working with that demographic, people who are parenting um, kiddos. Because I do think that is a really sweet and sacred space where we can start changing um, who and how uh, we interact with dignity and where we get introduced to this this uh, concept and this thought about how, who and, and why and how we are. And so uh, that's there. And then um, I'm, by the time this comes out, I will have already, uh, released 
the two cohorts that I'm doing. Um, and so those, I'm going to have another set in the fall. Uh, one cohort is, uh, the emotional legacy builders Academy. So this is giving you tools to build that foundation and that emotional legacy, uh, where you're really engaging in the social, emotional intentionality of, of living. And so that's for people who are brand new to this. They, maybe they don't know who Brene Brown is. They don't, they don't know those things. They're really new or people who feel like they know about it, but they want to be really intentional about what they do with the information that they have. And then the other cohort is a masterclass, the true North reset. And that masterclass is a very small group, um, three, no more than five people. And that is where I am going to be walking with you in this small group on how to make dignity that primary thing in your story, in your life for who you are, and then making sure that that translates into the stories that you hear from others. So how does dignity become your true north um, until we walk through that in that masterclass? So those are the ways that I'm um, really pressing in and, and trying to get this, trying to make sure that people are open to finding themselves in that moment. Um, where they experience the dignity effect. That is beautiful. Um, like what is one thing that you think is really important in somebody who is like wanting to walk in this way of acknowledging the dignity in others, but also in themselves? Like, is there something that you feel like really helps to open that and something that you feel like really closes that off? I don't know if that question is, is making a lot of sense, but yeah, no, it does. Uh, number one thing I would say is journaling. It's number one, uh, throughout my own healing process, journaling has been, I I can't overstate, um, how important it's been because in your journal is where you get to know yourself. Um, and nobody has to see it. So you can be as as honest. I mean, there are things I've written in my journal that I'm like, I might should burn that journal so nobody else reads it. Like <laughs> literally. Right. <laughs> Cause I know I've gone through my mom's stuff, just you're a kid or whatever. And you're like, and I don't want, I'm like, I don't want my kids to find this, you know? Um, but, uh, I would say, and it's, and I say journaling is number one, cause journaling is free. If you have a phone, you can journal on your phone. If you, um, you know, I, I love stationery. So I'm like, I have a specific journal I write in with specific pens that I use. That's me. (laughs) But, um, but I think just journaling and let me be specific about the kind of journaling I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, people who are really into yoga talk about like, showing up on their mat and how they show up on the mat and they bring like, you got to do that with your journal. You got to show up with those pages in that pen and be like, we about to do some work, you know? Um, and yeah. And I mean that I have, I have journal entries that are pages and pages long. Cause I was just, it just started, just came out and I was just like, I have to get it all out. I'm crying. There's probably dried tears on those pages, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, journaling is number one. And I would say 
alongside your journal, especially if you, if the only emotions that you really know how to identify are like sad, angry, and happy. <laughs> like if those, if that's as far as you go, definitely have something with you. There's two, my two favorite um, resources for this is you can Google the feeling wheel and there's a whole bunch that come up. There's a ton of them. Just pick one. Because if you're only working with three emotions, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you. It's going to get you a little deeper. And That's then awesome. it'll give you some words to help you express what's going on on the inside or how you felt about something that happened during during your day. The other resource is Brene Brown. Uh, she has a downloadable PDF on her site called, uh, I think it's the list of core emotions. And so that's another, I think there's about 30 on, on that page. So either one of those, if you, you know, if you're feeling real extra, you can do both. You don't really need both, but, um, either one of those, something to write with and some pages. And that, that is where I would tell anybody to start, start there. I appreciate that. And I feel like this is for me, Mm. like literally, literally (laughs) yesterday, my friend tweeted out like something about, I never knew how much journaling heals. And I was like, I need to journal. Cause I have, I'm the person who has all the leather bound journals like over the years, but I am telling Mm -hmm. you, I haven't journaled like that in years and I just mm-hmm. yesterday was telling my husband, I'm like, I think I need to start journaling again. And here you are with the message. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting off and I'm going to start journaling. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, it's, it might be a good idea. I'm just saying. <laughs> I love it. I think it's a and, great idea. And let me say too, because I'm in a space where it's very hard for me to journal often. So anybody who's like, oh my gosh, I can't do one other thing like just voice do voice notes just voice record it on your phone if you I love Evernote you could do audio recordings in Evernote you can just keep it in the voice recorder on your phone and just keep it but like if you're like I can't sit down and do it do something do something where you are connecting very honestly with yourself Um, because if you are not yet in a space where you can show up honestly in relationships with other people you've got to hold a space for yourself where you can show up completely authentic, no apologies, no guilt, no shame. And it's, it's, you're going to be able to do that with a journal. I love that. Yeah. So two more things. My, one of my questions Mm -hmm. I try to ask everybody is, um, what gives you hope? Inverse. (laughs) Right. How many times Uh, have I talked about inverse on this podcast? (laughs) I'm trying to not, you know, be that person who's like, but, but it, it does. And this is going to sound cliche, but it's true. But it's also my kids, my kids, um, because the reality of the world hasn't gotten to them yet. And so my four-year-old is like, I just want to let her dream about how wonderful things are and how expansive her imagination can take her and what's possible. I want to give her as much space in that as I possibly can. Um, 
before she starts experiencing the world in ways that tamp that down. Um, and I will say with all of its complications, and I'm not saying that I would, I'm glad that it happened. We were able to, I, I was able to help with that this last year in 2020 with the pandemic and just having conversations with her that maybe I wouldn't have had time to have otherwise, or, Mm -hmm. um, exploring different avenues that I wouldn't have thought about because she would be doing something else here. I'm having to problem solve with like, my kids are home with me all day. What? It can't be me for 12 hours. Like I can't do that. Um, so what does it look like for me to continue to allow her mind and her hope to expand and have help with that. And so we've discovered, you know, um, things that I think are, are really beautiful. Um, yeah. So my kids give me hope and inverse because that community is, I couldn't have dreamed of that community. Right. Uh, God has answered prayers and created prayers from my experience in that group that I never even knew I had. Um, God has given me friendships, deep, deep relationships that I don't know if I would have gotten them in any other context. I just don't. Right. Um, and the people who are in inverse in the inverse community I really do feel like it's so diverse. Gosh, there are so many different people, but all of us are like, there's got to be a better version of the world than what we have right now. All of us are trying to lean into what does that mean? What does it mean to have a Jesus shaped imagination for the world that we're all currently living in? And I, I just, I've never experienced hope. I've never experienced Jesus like that. Um, and I'm able to show up as myself, as Pentecostal Naya next to like, you know, Anglican Father Ken, you know, and it works. It works. Right. And there's right. something just totally beautiful that I just could not, I couldn't have imagined it. But, but I'm grateful that God imagined yeah. it. So, all right. So where can we find your work, follow you and support your work? Yeah. Um, so I do not like social media, but I'm on Instagram. That's the only place you're going to find me. (laughs) Um, I'm on Instagram at the dignity effect, uh, my membership community. Again, it's over on the platform. Buy me a coffee. It is the dignity nation. So you can join me over there. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you want to support, uh, you can support over at the Dignity Nation. Um, they do, you could do one-offs, you can become a member. Um, you can also check out the link in my bio at the Dignity Effect on Instagram. There's a uh, PayPal and I think a cash app. If people are like, just want to awesome. bless you, sis, come on. 
I'll, I'll mm-hmm. take the offering. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so those are the main spaces. And then people, you can always reach out to me on my DMs on Instagram. If you have a question, or if you want to chat, if you're interested in um, keeping up with uh, upcoming cohorts and things like that, that's the place to, to find me for sure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was really, really beautiful, Jen. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm.